It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another edition of Buckeye Talk, your Ohio State podcast from Cleveland.com. This is Bill Landis, uh, alone in my hotel room in New York City, uh, where I have been for the last few days covering the Big Ten Tournament. Uh, this will be a basketball-only episode, a shorter episode, I think, too. I think I got a handful of questions, mostly, and that's that's what I want to get to. Um, but I did want to talk about Ohio State basketball after Friday night. Uh, the Buckeyes come to New York, come to Madison Square Garden, Big Ten quarterfinal game against Penn State, and they lost, 69-68. to um, It was a good game. It was a, it was a cool environment. I know none of that matters to you, Ohio State fan. You were just angry that Ohio State lost, and I get that. Um, third time, obviously, Ohio State's lost to Penn State this year. Um, there's some stuff to get into on that, and I got a couple questions about it. Um, but I think, you know, it was it was certainly the best Ohio State has played um, against Penn State this year. The the first game in Columbus was a bad first half from Ohio State, a good second half, and they lost on a buzzer beater. Second game, they got their butts kicked in State College. It was um, either their worst or second worst game of the year, depending on how you want to look at it. They lost to Gonzaga by a larger margin, um, but that was also back in November when uh, this team had not yet shown us what it is capable of. And then after seeing what it did in, in January in Big Ten play, for basically the bulk of January in Big Ten play, um, to come back and and lose that way on the road at a place like Penn State that is not a particularly uh, intimidating road venue. Um, that was troublesome. And then it, it turned out it wasn't a random thing. Uh, Penn State, as we've said all year, is a very tough matchup for Ohio State, and they beat them for a third time. Um, it is a rare thing. I know people always say it's really hard to beat a team three times in one year. Um, I guess there's some truth to that, but... Let's not ignore what happened in the first two games. I, I, I'm not surprised that Ohio State lost. I hope that you're not surprised that Ohio State lost. Um, certainly can be frustrated with the way it went down. You can have questions about the way it went down, but um, I, I am not surprised that Ohio State lost. When I saw Penn State beat Northwestern, um, I thought this could be a short-lived uh, appearance in New York for Ohio State, and that turned out to be the case. Uh, the season is not over. I think that's important to point out to people. Um, and it has been interesting to see like the reaction to the loss to Penn State, um, and I don't. It's not good, bad, or different. Whatever. It's just been interesting. Um, the anger. I think there's been a little bit of anger, um, more frustration. I think than than or at least that I had anticipated coming off of a loss like that. Um, and and the team certainly changed expectations for what this season was going to be. 
um, right around the time that it beat Michigan State, which at the time was number one in the country. And I wrote a story about that, that everyone thought it was going to be a rebuild, and, and clearly it wasn't. Uh, they won 15 games in the Big Ten, and, and you're allowed to change your expectations for that, but um, it's it did seem a little bit like people had lost sight of what Ohio State is, and, and it's a few things. Um, it's It's a team that collectively played much better than than I think is to be expected of the group. Like if you look across the board and think about how good that like the sum of all that talent can be. I, Ohio State played uh played above that. There's a more eloquent way to say that, but I always screw it up. Something about the sum of its parts. Um but I think that was always the reality for Ohio State. And and I certainly lost sight of that. Sometimes I think fans lost sight of that too. And this is not me trying to make excuses for Ohio State. Um, it's just trying to explain that what happened losing, you win 15 games in big 10 play and you lose three to Penn state, which went nine and nine in the conference on paper. That looks weird. But if you think about it and look at it, it's not, it's not all that surprising. Um, Ohio state has a thin roster. It is thin in key positions, point guard being one of them problematic when you play a team like Penn state on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively. Um, Kata Bates Diop is the Big Ten Player of the Year, and deservedly so, but he has trouble playing against physical teams, and you saw some of that in the first half against Penn State. You saw it in the other games against Penn State. Um, it's just, it, it all adds up to being something that, that makes a lot of sense, and it's not to say that Ohio State should have lost, because I think that on Friday night that was certainly a winnable game. Um, but I think what we saw on Friday night, and, and really the last you know, three, four weeks in, in which Ohio State has lost three now, three of its last five games, it's just whatever. You want to say they peaked? I think that's fair. Um, it's confirmation of a little bit of what we thought coming into the season. Now, what we thought, at least what I thought coming into the season, was that Ohio State was like at best the 10th best team in the Big Ten, and clearly that's not true. Um, but the league itself was not as good as we thought it would be. That has played into Ohio State's success. Um, but there's been good too. I think I think Chris Holtman has laid a very good baseline. I think uh, older players like Kada and Jay Sean Tate and Cam Williams and Andrew Dockett, who came in as a grad transfer, like really, you know, set set a good tone around late November, early December that that they did not want this season to be like it had been the last couple of years. So so certainly. Ohio State's success is, is a product of, of them willing it to happen. I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but I think it's important to be real about it, too, and understand that it happened in a season in which the Big Ten was not very good. And it happened in a season in which from December 2nd to January 22nd, which is a very long stretch, Ohio State kind of played out of its mind. Um, way above what anyone thought its potential was. And that sets a high bar that when the team comes comes back down the earth a little bit, it leaves people disappointed, I guess. Um, and I, it's okay to be disappointed, but I think what we've seen over the last three or four weeks is is a little more of a realistic pic- picture of what this team is. Now, it's not to say it was interesting. I was in the in the garden on Saturday just kind of watching the semifinal games but but doing some work as well and watching Penn State play against Purdue and thinking to myself that, like just how bizarre it is that Purdue and Michigan State both are among the best 15 teams in the country, for, for sure, and that's probably short-selling them a little bit. Michigan State in particular, at least from a talent standpoint, is certainly a top-10 team, and, and Purdue is, is right there as well. And Ohio State is a better matchup against both those teams than it is against Penn State, which is it's crazy. 
Um, but it's just like personnel matters. And Purdue and Michigan State certainly have good guard play, but not quite at the level of at least Tony Carr on Penn State. Um, I won't give Penn State too much credit and pretend like it's an NBA team, but Tony Carr is an NBA guard. Um, Cassius Winston is an NBA guard on, on Michigan State, and, and Carson Edwards has very had a very good year for Purdue, and so has Dakota Mathias, but, but those guys aren't Tony Carr. Tony Carr brings another element with his size at six foot four and his shot making ability and his playmaking ability. He is every bit of an NBA guard and Ohio State struggled to contain him. That's not surprising to me, but that makes Penn State a tougher matchup for Ohio State than two teams in Purdue and Michigan State that if you ask like the average college basketball fan with some knowledge of the landscape this year would tell you are, are among the top ten or fifteen best teams in the country. So it's just been a weird, it's weird. It's a weird thing. It's like Ohio State, I think, this, Ohio State as it's currently made up is a very unique team. Um, and that's not to say that they can't win a game or two when the NCAA tournament starts in two weeks because the matchup matters too much for me to say say one way or the other um, if that's true. But it was just like, it was highlighted here, I think, or like hammered home here in New York that um, Ohio State has had a special season, but it's been a very strange season and, and their successes. Success has been grounded in, in kind of some weird things. Um, but it's not over. It's not over. Ohio State uh, lives to, to play at least one more game, and that was noticeable, I think, in the locker room after the loss to Penn State. it was. I wrote about it a little bit afterwards on Cleveland.com that uh, comparing the locker room last year in Washington, D.C. to the locker room this year in New York City is like, it's it's not even really worth comparing. It was so different. Now, obviously, last year when they lost to Rutgers, the, the season was, the season was two things. The season was over, and they wanted the season to be over. Um, they didn't even really want to be in Washington, D.C. playing in the Big Ten tournament because there was just not a whole lot of interest on that team of prolonging the season. This team came here to New York, um, I think, knowing that there were doubts before the season. They had some success, and then those doubts were starting to come back into play after they had lost a couple of games, and they wanted to come here and show that um, the people who had those doubts were wrong, and then luck of the draw gets like their kryptonite, Penn State. So they lose. They didn't accomplish what they wanted to accomplish here, um, and they were certainly upset about that, but the, the vibe was much different because they know that the NCAA tournament is still out there. They don't know who they play or when or where. Um, but they know they have at least one more opportunity to atone for losing to Penn State for a third time. So we'll uh, we'll have you covered on that um, on Cleveland.com. Selection Sunday is March 11th. Uh, there are some questions about seeding. Let me find it, and that can kick us off with, uh, with questions. Thank you for send- sending them in uh, on a weekend, no less. It's the first question I got, Scott <laughs> Scott Crew whose Twitter handle is at Art Schleister. Um, I wonder how many... <laughs> I didn't notice that when he said it all. He only has 136 Twitter followers. Sometimes people make their Twitter handle uh, someone else's name, and they end up getting a lot of Twitter followers. He follows a lot of people, but does not have a lot of followers. But anyway, Scott Cruz says, uh, seeding for Ohio State in the NCAA tournament. Number six, number seven. Um, I think seven is low. I think seven's low. I think they came to New York as, depending on who you ask, but, but most likely a five seed. Could have played their way to a four or a three with, certainly a three if they would have won the whole thing. I think to a four if they would have won another game or two. 
Um, but at the moment, I would say that they're a low five, high six. Um, seven, I think a lot of things w- would have to happen. Obviously, they're done playing. Um, but a lot of teams would have to jump them, I think, for them to be a seven seed. At least I would be surprised if that were the case. Um, and there's a bunch of bracketology things you can look at. Some of them have been updated recently. Some of them have not to reflect the results of the Big Ten tournament, um, which is not over yet. If you're listening to this on a Sunday, the, the championship game is at 430 on CBS, it'll be Michigan uh, versus Purdue, Michigan going for the repeat of uh, of the Big Ten Tournament Championship. But anyway, back to the tournament. So I look at a lot of different sites, bracketology sites, and they all, I mean, you'll find some that just like do what they think the field should look like, not necessarily how they think the selection committee will do it. And I guess I would urge you to not look at those, but everyone's kind of similar because they're just trying to guess based on the criteria the selection committee uses, what the bracket's going to look like. But one I was looking at on Saturday is called Bracketville. Um, and they do, the thing I like to look at the most is is the 1-68 to 68 seed list. It's not just the bracket. It's the 1-68 to 68 seed list. Um, so, for instance, on, on this one, the, it was updated on March 3rd, the morning of March 3rd on Saturday. Virginia's one, Villanova's two, Xavier's three, and Kansas's four. So they're the four number one seeds. Um, it has Ohio State at number 19, which makes it the third best fifth seed. Um, behind Michigan, behind Arizona, Clemson, Gonzaga, Texas Tech, all these teams that are still to play their conference tournaments. Um, Michigan State is number five overall, a two seed. Purdue is number six overall, a two seed. Now, Purdue can probably bump up if they beat Michigan in the Big Ten Tournament Championship, certainly ahead of Michigan State, uh, which lost to Michigan on Saturday. So, But looking at where Ohio State is situated in this list, they're at number 19, so they're two spots away from being a number six seed. Uh, behind them is Kentucky, Arkansas, Houston, Florida, Nevada. Any of those teams go on a run in their conference tournament, I think they can pass Ohio State. Ohio State is sitting idle now for, for this. The, like the week coming up is actually is, is championship week as we know it. It's when the Big Ten normally plays, but they moved their conference tournament up a year up a week this year because it was moved to Madison Square Garden. So Ohio State is just going to sit back and, and not they're not going to scoreboard watch because there's no point in that. They're they're in the tournament. It's just a matter of seating, and that's not something they get super worked up about. Um, but if you want to look at the teams around Ohio State, I think it's going to be really hard for Ohio State to move up. I don't really, I don't know how Ohio State could move up. They're not playing anymore, so I think at the moment, at best, they're a five seed. And you want to look at teams like Kentucky, Arkansas, Houston, Florida, Nevada, Miami, Virginia Tech, Texas A and M, uh, Creighton, Rhode Island, or all these teams around them. Um, but really, if you want to just go one seed line down, so it's Ohio State as, as a five seed, Kentucky is a five seed. And then going down to the sixth seed line, it's Arkansas, Houston, Florida, and Nevada. So those four teams, if those are the ones you're going to look at, can can move up in front of Ohio State. And this is not this is not fact. This is a guess based on the criteria that's being used. But I I think it's at least a good jumping off point. So um, back to the question from Scott, which was, what's the seed six or seven? I think. My guess would be that when this all shakes out and all the conference tournaments are done and it, it, we're a week away from Selection Sunday, so in a week, I think Ohio State will be a six seed, um, which oddly enough might work to Ohio State's benefit in terms of playing closer to Columbus the first weekend of the tournament.
Ohio State had been pegged uh, to go out west as a four seed or a five seed. And we had, we have explained this in previous podcasts. Doug explained it much more eloquently than I can um, about how they determine who goes where. There are eight cities hosting the first weekend of the tournament. Those cities are Pittsburgh, Nashville, Detroit, Wichita, Dallas, Charlotte, San Diego, and Boise, Idaho. And the way it works is you get you get geographic preference based on your seed. So, for instance, Virginia at the moment is probably the number one overall seed. Virginia would get to go play in Charlotte. Villanova is the number two overall seed. Villanova would get to go play in Pittsburgh. Um, Xavier to maybe Nashville, Nashville, Detroit, or Pittsburgh, either one. Kansas to Wichita, Michigan State to Detroit, Purdue to Detroit, Duke to Charlotte, um, Arizona to one of the West Coast destinations. So the problem, the thing working against Ohio State is if it's a four seed, which it won't be, but if it were a four seed, it would be a low four seed, and a lot of the teams in front of it are in the same kind of geographic area as Ohio State. So they would all go to the places around Columbus before Ohio State would get a chance to go to one of those places, and then all that's left is going out west to San Diego or Boise. But, and that is also true kind of if Ohio State's a five seed because the five seeds get paired with the four seeds because that's the second round matchup, if you follow me here. Five plays 12, four plays 13. If chalk happens, then five plays four and four plays five in the second round. Um, so again, because of all these teams are based in the east and the midwest and the south, most of the teams on the four line are going far away from, from where their school is located and the five seeds are going with them. Um, so, but if Ohio state is a six seed, then it's paired with a three seed and the three seeds will be a little closer to home. The three seeds at the moment are all schools that are not out West. The three seeds looking at, at this projections on Brackettville are Auburn, Tennessee, Cincinnati, and Wichita state. No, none of those, Four teams, I think, would end up going out west. They might go to Dallas or Wichita, but Ohio State is a six seed. That means Ohio State is going to, like, at at worst, Dallas or Wichita, and it could be in, like, Pittsburgh or Nashville or, or maybe not Detroit or Nashville, but, but one of those three close ones. Um, so if you're an Ohio State fan and you care about whether or not Ohio State is playing close to you so you can go watch, um, a six seed is not the worst thing in the world. So um, that was a long answer to a question that was, are they a six seed or a seven seed? I think they're going to be a six. I think seven is low. Five is the ceiling. Um, so I'll pick right in the middle and say they're going to be a six seed. Eddie Vulich had a question about the Penn State loss. He said, is the loss good for Ohio State in that it pushes them away from possible matchups with either West Virginia or Kentucky in the NCAA tournament, obviously? Um if that ends up happening, I suppose so, but it's also out there, I think, for Ohio State to be a six-seed opposite a three-seed West Virginia. Um, so, yeah, I guess if, like, if, if, if West Virginia and Kentucky scare you, then sure, but they're going to be playing a good team no matter what. I would not get too bogged down in the potential matchups at the moment, but, but certainly an, an Ohio State-West Virginia second-round matchup is, is not off the table yet. And nor is a Kentucky-Ohio State second-round matchup if Kentucky wins the SEC tournament um, and can improve its seeding. So, yes and no, I guess, to that question. But West Virginia, they're not away from West Virginia at the moment. 
Um, second part of Eddie's question, he says, why was Jay Sean Tate gone for the final eight minutes? So I saw a lot of this on Twitter during the game and after the game, and then talked with Jay Sean Tate a little bit about it afterwards. So he picked up his fourth foul with, I believe, seven minute and 50 seconds left against Penn State, and then basically sat for the rest of the game. He got put into the game for the final possession. Ohio State inbounded with 3.1 seconds left. Didn't get a shot off and lost the game. And Tate was in. Tate sat at 7:50 and did not come back in until those 3.1 seconds were left on the clock. So he basically sat the, the last eight minutes of, of the second half. And it was surprising. It was surprising. Um, I think had Chris Holtman had the opportunity to sub for defense on Penn State's final possession, he would have done that and put Jay Sean in the game. But he couldn't. They were out of timeouts, and Penn State had the ball anyway because Ohio State turned the ball over. So that wasn't going to happen. I think, yeah, so that's why Jayshon wasn't on the floor. Um, Jayshon did not play well. Uh, his, his, he had 12 points. I think he was three for six from the field. One of those was a three. Um, or no, I think he was two, three for eight from the field, and one of those was a three. So he was like two for six or two for seven. He was less than 40% on two-point field goals, and, and we know that that's how Jayshon gets the scoring done. Um, he was not attacking the boards he, the way he normally does, and, and I think – plus minus within a game is sort of a dangerous thing to, to really harp on because it's a stat that's that's better used over a larger sample size. But in the game against Penn State, Jay Sean Tate's in a one point game against Penn State, Jay Sean Tate's plus minus was minus seventeen and nineteen minutes on the floor. Um, he was not playing well. Now, I don't know if that should matter with the way Ohio State's roster is situated. Jay Sean is too important to this team in my mind to be sitting that long. Um, Andre Wesson was giving Ohio State some good minutes. Cam Williams was giving Ohio State some good minutes. We'll talk about Andrew Dockich in a minute. Um, I thought it was a mistake to not have Jay Sean on the floor, but there are some things to support the decision to do so. Um, speaking with Jay Sean in the locker room after the game, he did not seem upset. Even if he was, I don't think he would allow us to see that, but he basically said, he had been having he was having discussions with coaches on the bench, and they were talking about subbing in for defense. But the group that they had in at the time, which was C.J. Jackson, Andrew Dockich, Cam Williams, Andre Wesson, and Kade Bates Diep, had been playing well together. Had given Ohio State a little bit of a lead, and I think they wanted to stick with those guys. And then the opportunity to sub Jay Sean in on defense um, just kind of never presented itself. So um, he sat, and hindsight being twenty twenty, it was probably a mistake. I don't know what he would have done defensively on that last possession. Um, in which Tony Carr had the ball, Dockich was guarding him, C.J. Jackson was guarding Josh Reeves, C.J. cheated towards Tony Carr, Tony Carr fed a pass to Josh Reeves for a dunk, Penn State won the game. Um, if Jay Sean's in in that moment, I think it's probably Cam Williams who's not in the game. Cam Williams was checking Shep Garner away from the play out on the three-point line. It was sort of a non-factor in the play other than to create space. Um, perhaps if Jay Sean was playing... He would have been the one, he would have been guarding one of the guards, either Josh Reeves or Tony Carr. But I, I, I can't say that for certain. Um, and Ohio State had been doing pretty well offensively in the second half without Jay Shum in the game. So it makes a little bit of sense to me that he wasn't in there. Um, but if you're asking me my opinion, I, I probably thought he should have been, even if there is evidence to suggest that, that it was the right move. Rick Thorne said, why doesn't Musa Jallo play? 
thought he or Keita would have been a better fit defending Carr than Andrew Dockage. So that was interesting, and, and I'll get to the question in a second, but one of the things that, that stuck out to me from the Penn State game was I thought that Chris Holtman like coached a little tight, if that makes sense. Um, his, his substitution patterns were different. There was a little bit of foul trouble. It was a, it was a poorly officiated game, which I know a lot of people were upset about, um, which it was kind of clunky. Um, but for all intents and purposes, Chris Holtman played six players against Penn State. Micah Potter played. He played eight minutes. Um, Caleb Wesson is a starter. He played 20. Jay Shantate is a starter. He played 19. Uh, so it was a, it was a six-man rotation, but it was very heavy on Keita, Cam, CJ, Dockage, and then Andre Wesson got a lot of run in the second half. Um, I don't know why Musa Jallo didn't play. Now, Musa Jallo, we've seen him throughout this year, has had his struggles for most of the season on offense. Um, it was very good against Purdue, obviously. I think had gotten smarter with his offense as the season wore on, was, wore on, was not taking as many questionable shots, seemed to gain a better understanding of, of his role on the offensive end of the floor than on the defensive end of the floor. He's probably the second best athlete on the team behind Jay Sean and, and maybe a better athlete than Jay Sean. Um, could have helped Ohio State defensively, I think, can stay in front of a guy like Tony Carr. Now he's young and he might get out of position, but I thought they could have used his athleticism certainly. Um, Musa can rebound from the the guard slash wing position, which was a problem for Ohio State in the first half. Um, Penn State killed Ohio State on the defensive glass. Penn State had nine offensive rebounds. Tony Carr and Josh Reeves, who were both guards, had had a decent, had combined for thirteen rebounds, I think, for the game, or no, fifteen rebounds for the game, I think it was. Um, so Musa could have helped them. Musa could have helped them. Um, I thought Micah Potter in the eight minutes he played was very good and probably should have played a little more. Um, Kyle Young not playing is fine. Like he plays behind Kaden, and that's just going to happen. Um, but Chris Holtman, I thought, cha- changed the way that he normally handles a game. Now, his lineups have been fluid all year, um, so I guess it's not different in that regard. But in terms of how short his bench was, and I thought he just kind of... It's it's a weird balance, I think, to strike sort of adjusting to what's happening in the game, but also not letting what's happening in the game completely take you out of what makes you successful. Um, and I thought Chris Holtman did a little more of the latter. Um, and I guess you can look at that two ways. You can You can say that he didn't have a good grasp on the game or that he was a little more ruthless in his personnel decisions by taking a guy like Jay Sean out of the game when that kind of goes against conventional wisdom based on how important Jay Sean is to Ohio State. Um, I would I would trend a little more towards the former there. I thought that um, I thought for the first time really all year that Holtman coached in a way that that certainly warrants a little bit of criticism. And, and coached in a way that I, I don't know the right way to say it. Someone had said something. I did a Facebook Live after the game, and someone had said something about Holtman choking on the big stage, which I, which I think is false. Um, they won at Purdue. They beat Michigan State. He's had success in the NCAA tournament at Butler. Um, but he, he, he coached in a way that made it seem like he was like feeling the pressure a little bit. Um, and Madison Square Garden has not been kind to him. He's now 1-4 overall in that building. He's 0-4 in that building in conference tournaments. Never won in the Big East of Butler. And is now 0-1 uh, in the Big Ten. He won't play there again in the Big Ten in the conference tournament. I hope not anyway. Um, but it was just a, it was just an, a, an observation on my part that I thought 
I, I don't know the right way to say it, but I thought there was a noticeable way in the in, in, in noticeable difference in the way that Chris Holtman was sort of handling everything that was getting thrown at Ohio State. Um, all that being said, I thought they had a a better game plan against Penn State than they had had in the previous two meetings, and I think that they wanted a an interior oriented offensive attack played through Caleb Wesson and Jay Sean Tate because Penn State was without Mike Wa- Mike Watkins, its best post defender. But then Caleb and Jay Sean were not particularly efficient on the offensive end. And, and that caused I think, maybe things to get out of whack a little bit. Jack Kewich, apologies, Jack, if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong, um, says, why were Holtman and company I'm assuming Holtman and his staff unable to figure out how to minimize Tony Carr's play against them after two games. Tony Carr is really good. I, I don't know. I he scored he scored 30 points a game basically in three games, and like that's that's inexcusable certainly. Um, I just don't know. Musa Jalama maybe would have been interesting as a guy checking Tony Carr, but outside of that, I just don't know if if Ohio State has the personnel to shut down a player like that. Um, we saw James Palmer from from Nebraska have a really good game against Ohio State. Um, one of the guys, went, who was it, when Ohio State played Clemson, went off a little bit too. Uh, yeah, Mark, no, is it Marquise Reed? Is a six three guard had twenty two points in that game against Ohio State for Clemson. Um, I just think like guys guys at that guard position who play like that are they just don't have the bodies to defend them. So um, I was not. I was not really concerned with what Tony Carr did against Ohio State. Um, I just think that's going to happen. I was concerned with the way that Ohio State kind of got bullied around on the glass a little bit in the first half, and then in the second half, while playing through Kata, who was really good, lost a lot of its its offensive flow. So I just don't think Tony Carr is a guy you really figure out. He did not have a good game against Purdue in the Big Ten Tournament semifinals. Um, I think he was also tired. But he's a first-round NBA guard, man. Sometimes those guys are hard to stop, especially when you're working with the roster Ohio State's working with. Um, and he said, Jack said, additionally, no blaming the refs is a cop-out, but what is your take on some of the calls or lack thereof in the final minutes of the game? Uh, I thought Kata got mauled pretty good on the turnover at the end that set up the game-winning bucket. It, before before he got the ball, and we had a decent vantage point from where we were sitting, we were on the baseline um, behind the basket closest to Ohio State's bench. Um, before the plan was to get K to the ball on the elbow and, and I think maybe get him into the mid post where he's his most dangerous and, and try to get a good shot and increase Ohio state's lead to three, maybe get a foul. Um, but at one point, Shep Gardner had Kata's arm like locked, like had interlocked his arm with Kata's and was just like holding him there. Wouldn't let him move. And that wasn't called. Um, I thought he was very physical with them right before the pass, certainly physical with them when the effort of ball got there. I am, generally on the side of let them play and I'm never going to like, I'm, I'm just never going to like lobby on behalf of whatever team I cover to get foul calls. Referees are human beings. They make mistakes. Sometimes I didn't think anything was egregious. I, I did just think there was some contact at the end there that could have been called. Um, and it was, it was noticeable that Penn state made 16 free throws and Ohio state only got to attempt 11. So um, if you're a fan and you're upset about that, I think you're within your race. Chris Holtman was definitely upset about that. And I was talking to assistant coach Ryan Pete in, uh, in the hallway outside the locker room after the game. And, and he made a quick note of that too. Um, did not say anything I can say 
did not say anything on the record that I can repeat to you, but but that was not lost on the Ohio State coaching staff. The the foul discrepancies in, in general, the way the game was called. Mark at uh, Go Val X says uh, this team has lost four of six. Is it four of six or is it one, two, three? They have lost. They have not lost four of six. They lost three of five. Um. Yeah, three of five. Two to Penn State, one to Michigan. Beat Rutgers, beat Indiana, and their six, the sixth game they beat Iowa. So they lost three of five, not four of six. But the point still stands. I get what you're saying. Um, one of those wins is a two-o team buzzer beater, two overtime buzzer beater, regressing to the mean schedule? Question mark. Um, a little bit of both. Um, I think that this the schedule. I don't know. I feel kind of weird. Not weird, but. When when I talk about when others talk about the schedule working against Ohio State, like everyone in the Big Ten had to play the same schedule. Now maybe the end wasn't structured the same way it was for Ohio as for other teams as it was for Ohio State, but at some point in the Big Ten schedule, every team had to play a bunch of games in a small window because the conference tournament was a week earlier and that compressed the whole thing and it was a stupid mistake by Jim Delaney. Um one that he admitted to after the fact is if he couldn't tell by looking at it on paper last year when they decided to do, or whatever it was, three years ago when they decided to do this, that this wasn't going to be a problem. But anyway, I think part of it was the schedule. Um, Ohio State played at Penn State on February 15th, at Michigan on the 18th, at home against Rutgers on the 20th, and then at Indiana on the 23rd. So between the 15th and the 23rd, they played four games. Um, And I think that plays, I think, that compressed schedule played a factor. I think overall, guys being in new roles, Kata in particular, had car- has carried a large load for this team all year. His minutes are not high, but his usage is a little high, certainly higher than it's been at any time in his career. Um, and he had been played against very physically, and I think a lot of that took a toll. So part of it's the schedule, part of it is increased roles, and part of it is, I think, regressing to the mean a little bit. Um, like I said at the top, Ohio State for nearly a two-month stretch, like, kind of played out of its mind. Like, to the point that I still think had Caden not gotten in foul trouble in the first half against North Carolina, that's a game Ohio State could have won based on how Carolina was playing at the time. Um, Cato was great in that game when he was on the floor. It's just that he picked up two fouls early. He went out of the game for a few minutes in the first half, and that's when Carolina pulled away. Um, and if that didn't happen, you're talking about a team that from December 2nd to January 22nd did not lose a game. If they would have upset Carolina, it was still they won. I think it was 13 out of 14, which is still crazy. Um, but, yeah, I think I think some of it is, is regressing to the mean. Some of it, I, I think the last, starting on February 10th, the last six games of the regular season were all against teams that Ohio State had played, was playing for the second time, which I think was a bit unique. Um Oftentimes, I think toward the end of the schedule, you'll get at least one team that, that is – you're a one-time opponent um, that Ohio State played six teams in a row that it had already played early in the year, I think, factored into some of it. Ohio State, I don't think, is a particularly difficult team to figure out um, in terms of how to stop them. And clearly Michigan had figured some stuff out from the last time they played. Um, Penn State did as well. Um, Indiana played them tough in Bloomington, obviously. Um, so I think there was a lot of things working against Ohio State, but I would – I would give I would put most of it on I think re- regression to a little bit of what Ohio State's supposed to be um which by the way I still think is not a bad team um second best team in the Big 10 I don't know 
Probably not. At least on paper. On a neutral floor against Michigan State and Purdue, I would pick Michigan State or Purdue. I would pick Michigan. I'd pick Penn State because I'd be stupid not to after three losses. Um, so, But every other team in the league, I'd pick Ohio State. So if Ohio State on paper is the third or fourth best team in the Big Ten and played above itself for a stretch to become the second best team in the Big Ten, um, I think you expect a little bit of regression. James Smith said, Cam Williams engaged offensively shooting 50% from the field and defensively with a team leading three blocks against Penn State. Was he underutilized again last few games he's been on fire? Uh, no. I don't. I, th- I thought Cam did did play pretty well against Penn State. Um, I, he was not underutilized. He played 33 minutes. Um, played 40 minutes against Indiana. Um, he was, yeah, he was... Under underutilizes is the opposite of what I would say of how how Cam was used. No, let me do the opposite because that would suggest he was overutilized. Um, I thought he was adequately utilized against Penn State um, and against Indiana too. Cam had been a little up and down, I think, since he came back from his suspension. But over the last handful of games, last two or three games, um, he had been pretty good. So I, I know I thought Cam played thirty three minutes and Jay Sean Tate played nineteen. So I don't think Cam was underutilized at all against Penn State. I th- if, if if by underutilized you mean they didn't get him the ball enough on offense, I would say that's true. But that's kind of true across the board. I think it was just it was Cato was really good, and when Cato's really good, I think you, a lot of times you give him the ball and you feel good about it. But the the one thing Ohio State has yet to master, which Penn State mastered on its game winning bucket, is when you throw the ball to your star and that star gets double teamed, that means someone else is open. And a lot of times, Kata doesn't find that guy, or that guy does not present himself to Kata. Um, and that is something that Ohio State needs to figure out in these next two weeks before the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's okay to rely on your star, I and mean, when you have a star, I think you can win some games in the NCAA tournament, obviously. But you have to be able to play off him, too. And I think sometimes Ohio State can get caught watching Kata rather than trying to play off of him, if that makes sense. Um, the best example I think of them playing off of him was the Michigan State game. Um, that was a very sort of balanced, unless I'm misremembering that game, but if I remember correctly, it was a very they won eighty to sixty four. Kata had thirty two, Jayshon had thirteen, CJ had fourteen, Cam had ten, Caleb had eight. Um, Kata took twenty one field goals, like he was the guy. It was his show, um, and he didn't have any assists. But the guys around him were at least hitting shots. So maybe that's not the best example, but but I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, them just not not playing off the star as, as well as they can. They've done it at times. I think lately they have not done it all that well, and, and Kata has not, I think, done a great job of recognizing when that attention's coming and and being sort of a, a willing facilitator. It's not to say he's selfish. I just think it's it's sort of an uncomfortable role for him. Um but if they can get that figured out, I think that makes them a little bit of a different team in the NCAA tournament. Um, but the question was, was Cam underutilized? No, unless this is what you're talking about, not getting him the ball enough offensively against Penn State. I would say that that's probably a fair criticism. Kata had 20 field goal attempts against Penn State. CJ had six. Cam had eight which is a good number for Cam. He was four for eight from the field, two for four from, from the three-point line. But he had a he had a confidence about him 
Um, and you can tell, like when, when Cam's feeling it on the offensive end, it's very easy to tell, and he was certainly feeling it last night, and, and he didn't get the ball enough on offense, I think I think is a fair way to put it. So in terms of minutes played and time on the floor not underutilized, how he was used, especially offensively, I think maybe that's a fair criticism, James. Dave McMahon, uh, did Holtman say what the last play was at the end of the game? Because that one with Jackson was horrible. Why not Kata? And then he asked again where Musa's been. Um, I touched on Musa. The last play, uh, he did not say. It's a little unclear exactly what they were trying to do. Josh Reeves, I thought, did a really good job of, of keeping CJ to the outside. Um, I probably would have given the ball to Kata too. There, I, there was not enough time with 3.1 seconds left to inbound to someone and then have that someone pass to somebody else. So... Um, I would have tried to get K to the ball. It looked like it, it was designed to get CJ the ball. CJ, I didn't ask CJ this, but CJ was basically asked, were you trying to do something similar to what you did against Indiana? And against Indiana, they had more time. I think it was seven seconds um, in the double overtime. CJ brought the ball off the floor, picked up his dribble, had some space, launched a deep three, and he made it with one point something seconds left, and they won that game. This was different. This was This was going to be a heave most likely. Um, they inbounded to CJ. CJ tried to like run the ball to a similar spot on the floor, got pushed out wide, and just threw a heave like over his shoulder. They came nowhere near the rim, so it was a botch play. They didn't have a timeout to talk it over. Uh, like I said, they had used their timeout on the previous offensive possession to set up the play to Kata, in which Kata turned the ball over. Um, so no, Holtman did not really talk about that, and and uh, you can if you want to blame me for not asking, that's fine. There were there were a lot of us in the locker room, but I was not. I didn't go into that locker room like geared up to ask about what happened in that game because while it was interesting and, and certainly noteworthy that they had lost to Penn State for a third time, um, I was much more interested in like what's next. What did this tell us about what Ohio State can do moving forward? Um, so I was not going to get totally bogged down in, in what Ohio State tried to do with three seconds left on the clock. Um, so I didn't ask about it. And no one asked Chris Holtman about it directly. We got Chris Holtman. It's a weird setup, if you'll allow me a quick tangent. The way we get to do interviews, the the head coach and two players go to the podium at the same time that the locker room's open. An open locker room is very important for us because we don't get to talk. We don't get free reign to talk to whoever we want throughout the season. Um, Ohio State brings guys to the podium after games, and whichever two or three guys they pick are the guys we get, and that's it. And oftentimes we don't have a say in who comes out. So when the locker room is open like it is at the Big Ten tournament and like it will be at the NCAA tournament, um, that is far more valuable than going to the formal press conference area where Chris Holtman and two players, last night it was Kata and Jayshon, um, were speaking. So Chris Holtman was at the podium for a few minutes, came into the locker room like right as our time in the locker room was coming to an end, and we got Chris Holtman in the locker room for maybe about five minutes which is shorter than we normally get him after a game. Normally after a game, we'll get him for 20 minutes. Um, but there's rules on how long the locker room's open. So he came in, the locker room's open for 30 minutes. He came in with about 24, 25 minutes, 24, 25 minutes into that span. So we didn't get Chris Holman um, for as long as we normally do. Otherwise, I think that this would, that would have come up, but it didn't. Um, but yeah, it was a horrible shot. Like you said, Dave, um, and I agree with you. I think it should have been Kata and not CJ in that situation. But it wasn't. It was CJ, and he didn't get a good shot off. 
Andrew Kapersky says, despite getting bounced by Penn State again, could the additional experience against that type of team still serve them well in the big, in the big tournament? Yeah, I think anytime you get, um, they didn't get their butt kicked. They lost by one. But they, like Penn State, over the course of three games, like really like gave, gave Ohio State a shot to the confidence, I guess. So uh, I think anything you can learn from helps. Um, I think they certainly learned some things from the game at State College to this one and, and played a little better and a little differently and, and had some more success, even though it was a loss. So, um, and Penn State is, I think, a prime example of a type of team that gives Ohio State problems. So maybe it's a little encouraging that Ohio State at least played better, even if the if the result wasn't what you wanted it to be. They played a little better on a on a bigger kind of stage. Um, and a game that had a little bit more meaning to it, I guess. Ohio State played better, so maybe that's encouraging. I think there are things you can learn from that. I think Chris Holtman will look at the way he uses personnel and, and learn some things from that. I think they can look at the offense and how Kata was really good, and that was encouraging because you need Kata to be really good, but what other things can we do to, to work off of him? I think that was something they'll look at. Um, yeah, so I think I think it's okay to look at it that way. It's looking at it sort of half-glass full, and I think that's okay. Half-glass full. Glass half-full. And I think that's okay, um, but the one I think I think the one thing Ohio State has done all year and done well is is learn from losses. Um, there haven't been a lot of them. They're they're twenty four and eight, um, but I think I think Ohio State does a good job of like self scouting and, and learning from from the struggles that it has. Uh, another question, Dave McMahon says, I think they peaked several weeks ago. Do you think the coaches got enough from the players down the stretch? rebounding needs work exclamation point. Um, when I read that end of that question, David, I actually went and looked Ohio state is number one twenty four in the country in offensive re- rebounding percentage. So a little above average number 36 in the country in opponent offensive rebounding possessions. So they've been good in that regard. Um, they lead the Big Ten in opponent offensive rebounding percentage and are sixth in the Big Ten in their own offensive rebounding percentage. So they're not a bad rebounding team. And if you look over the last handful of games, um, they were out-rebounded against Penn State in the tournament 37-26. to So that sticks out, obviously. They out-rebounded Indiana, out-rebounded Rutgers, out-rebounded Michigan, and then got out-rebounded at Penn State. So um, while the, the inefficiencies rebounding were a large part of the reason why Ohio State lost to Penn State. I don't think in general that it's been a bad thing for Ohio State. I think it's actually one of their stronger points and and has been throughout the year. I thought at the beginning of the year they were going to be a really good offensive rebounding team, and they were against some of the mid-major teams they were playing, but but that has evened out a bit. But I don't think Ohio State's a poor rebounding team. Um, And the other part of your question was, did the coaches get enough from the players down the stretch? I I don't know. I, I think so. I think so. I, I The Penn State game was really bad. It was just an awful game all around for everybody. But like I don't I, in my mind it hasn't been a prolonged stretch of awful. I thought there were some good things against Michigan. They lost on the road to a Michigan team that's really good. Michigan's in the Big 10 tournament championship. They're going to be a very dangerous team come March. Um I you're allowed to be upset certainly at any loss if you're an Ohio State fan, but you have to understand that in basketball teams lose. Very like rarely do teams go undefeated, and Ohio State losing on the road to Michigan, to my my mind, was not all that glaring. It's just that it came off a loss to Penn State, so it was back to back losses, which which obviously is not good. They were good against Rutgers. Um, 
I thought they showed some pretty good resiliency against Indiana, uh, playing there on senior night in Bloomington, which is not a great, uh, an easy place to play, even though Indiana's down a little bit. Um, like teams have struggles. Michigan State has struggled to points in the regular season. Purdue lost three in a row. Um, Michigan had took some lumps at the beginning of the year, and like it's just it's when when these things happen, I think creates a, a like an uncertain amount of of uh, worry. Like clearly, you want to be playing your best come March, obviously. And Ohio State over the last three or four games has not played its best. Um, and like I said before, I think a lot goes into that. The schedule, um, regressing to the mean, um, playing teams a second time around. Um, the only game I thought that Ohio State was poorly coached in terms of getting enough out of the players was the game at Penn State. Um, I know I had some criticisms of the way Holtman handled his substitutions in the Big Ten tournament game against Penn State, but I thought on the whole Ohio State played a pretty strong game against Penn State and just lost by one in a conference tournament game, and that happens. So, um, yes, I, I do think the coaches got enough out of the players, and I would disagree that the rebounding is a glaring issue, even though it was the reason they lost to Penn State. On the whole, they've been, I think, a good enough rebounding team uh, this season. Final question, Doug DeLillo says, uh, is Ohio, if Ohio State had a real threat at point guard, hypothetically, what would their ceiling be? Obviously, Dockage and Jackson have been honorable in their play, but it remains the major, major flaw on this year's team. Yeah, a, a, a way higher ceiling, I think. And I think I actually like CJ Jackson a lot as a shooting guard. They just don't, Ohio State doesn't have anybody on its roster who can like create off the dribble, who can break a guy off one on one, who can take, a, take the ball off a ball screen and penetrate and then either get his own at the rim or, or kick out. Um, they just don't have that kind of one, like, you don't have to be big to do that. Um, but it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt to be big. And like their guard, their guard options are 6'2 Andrew Dockage, 6'1 CJ Jackson, and 6'2 Cam Williams, who can't dribble. So like Cam is not a ball handler. Cam's a guy who's going to run off screens um, and hit open threes. And then he's got a really nice one dribble pull up, but he's not going to be, he's not very rarely is Cam creating his own shot. And Ohio State in general does not have guards that can create their own shot, um, does not have great athleticism at the guard position. Their starting point guards are a junior college transfer transfer and a fifth-year grad transfer who was a walk-on at Michigan who didn't play last year because he was redshirting. So, like, that's – I know we all know that. We're 30-plus games into this thing now. We know what the roster is. But if if the reality was different and they had a true point guard, a a dynamic kind of guy with a ball in his hand who, who can create for himself and for his teammates, and certainly the ceiling's higher um, – I don't know. I think it's maybe maybe it's not too much to say that Ohio State is like one good point guard away from being a really great team. Maybe that is true. I mean, I think maybe that is true. Thinking about it a little more. Um, so yeah, the ceiling. I think it goes without saying, Doug, that the that the ceiling would be very high if they had a if they had a threat at point guard on this team. Because even even if the situation was they had a good starting point guard and CJ was your number two point guard, like I, I like I like CJ. I like CJ Jackson in any role. Basically, that's not starting point guard because he just has his limitations. And I think he's done well to, to play around those at times, and Andrew Dockich has done the same. But there are just some games and some matchups in which that um, there's no way around it. And Penn State has been a little bit of that. 
and some of the other games they played recently, Michigan, I think, is, is hard on, on a guy like CJ, too, although he played well the first time they played. But you know what I'm saying. It's the thing we talked about all year. They don't have a point guard. That showed toward the end. Teams figured it out, how to defend them. It took a long time, but teams figured it out, and, and that's that's the way it is. You want to try Jay Sean at point guard, I think they might get back to that a little bit. But but they're they're very limited in what they can do at that position. And and if they weren't, we'd be talking about a different season. You're talking about a playmaking guard paired with a star shot maker in Katie Bates. Yep, that's a recipe for a lot of success and a recipe for a dangerous team. So yeah, high ceiling, much higher than it is now. Okay, those are all the questions. Um, I appreciate uh, you guys sending them in. We'll do. Uh, We'll do at least one more basketball podcast, I think, before the NCAA tournament starts. Um, maybe we'll try to do one on Selection Sunday. Probably not during the week at all this week. Spring football starts on Tuesday, so there'll be a lot of football talk this week. We'll be back with our normal Buckeye talk on Wednesday. Myself, Doug Maurice, and Tim Bielik will be together to talk about spring football and, and football, all football only, next week. And then either... Coming off Selection Sunday, or at least sometime before the NCAA tournament, uh, we will do uh, another basketball podcast talking about the tournament, talking about the team, talking about what to expect um, after we get to see who they play and stuff like that. So I wanted to, though, before then, kind of recap what happened here in New York, share some thoughts on the game, share some thoughts on where I think Ohio State stands, and then kind of get a vibe for where you guys were, too. So I appreciate you indulging me on that and sending in questions and putting up with, if you heard... uh, I'm staying in the weirdest hotel in America. It's called Moxie. M-O-X-Y. There's weird stuff all over this hotel room. There's a weird sculpture of, like, a woman in pantyhose. Is that what they're called? And it's, like, in a frame. And there's, like, a folded playing card. And there's a superhero action figure in this, like, piece of art that I thought was the Flash. But I've been told several times that it's Daredevil. And I don't know what the hell it is. But it's on the wall, and I can't stop staring at it because it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And the bathroom has, it looks like the po- a pool, and it says like two and a half feet deep and no diving. And it's just a bathroom. I don't know what the deal is. The hotel room key is weird. It's got some girl's face on it, like sticking her tongue out. It's very weird. There's a lot of, this is a PG podcast, so I won't get into what all this hotel is, the vibe this hotel is actually giving. But it's all very suggestive. And I booked it because it's uh, new and it's clean and it's near Madison Square Garden, but it is the strangest hotel I've ever stayed in. Um, and there's like a nightclub somewhere. I don't know if it's above me or below me, but I hear the bass and I don't like. I can hear it now. I don't know if you guys can, so I apologize if you can hear it. Um, and if you can, uh, thank you for bearing with me. If you heard any of the New York traffic outside the window, thank you for bearing with that as well. Um, sometimes we podcast and then not in situations that would not be ideal for podcasting but we want to make sure we give you guys these we like doing them we think you like listening to them and we like uh we like interacting with you guys um through the podcast so thanks again for listening to this one um ohio state loses in the big 10 tournament quarterfinals uh will play in the ncaa tournament we will talk about that uh down the road get back in the football next week when when me doug and tim get back together um if you have not, if you're listening to this, you're a subscriber. Tell your friends to subscribe, and and rate us on iTunes or wherever else you can rate things and help us keep growing this thing. It's 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 grown a lot in, in the couple of years we've done it. And we appreciate that, um, and we'll keep it going. So uh, for me, it's just me. I'm Bill Landis in my weird hotel room in New York City. Um, 
Thank you for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs> <laughs>